Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we are here to worship you. Lift up your name on high. Jesus, the name above every other name. Help us today to live for you, not to live for ourselves. And as good as that may be sound, not even to live for our families, but to live for you and what you've done for us. Help us to align with you and your mission that we might be on fire for you because of what you've done, the things that you have yet to do. Help us to remember those things. Encourage us where we need to be lifted up. Give us uh, the ability to go and share the good news and, and help people to have the same hope that we have in you. So, Father, as we open up your text this morning, won't you speak to us through your word? Won't you hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me? Give me the words to say and how to say them. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, in whom I trust. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. This morning we're going to be in uh, the book of Nehemiah, continue our series here this morning. A lot of things that uh, we've been talking about here this morning will be in Nehemiah 5. And as I mentioned a moment ago, we were celebrating 55 years as a church. And that, that I, again, I can't really believe it myself. It's just amazing to think of. And me just to be able to stand here as your pastor is, is just humbling to me. And I look back on our lineage as a church when we started uh, so many years ago that some, somebody had a, a vision. A guy called uh, Victor Pedum to come and to plant this very church out of uh, First Baptist Clarendon Hills. And they, they, they came here and they, they started having studies and, 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 and wanted to, to reach the people in Bowling. As a matter of fact, Bolingbrook was very new at that time as well. Bolingbrook was just incorporated uh, not too long before the church was started. And uh, we've had our ups and downs as a church. Uh, it hasn't all been uh, uh, rainbows and sunshine, as they say, but we're still here. And, and God has us here for a purpose, for a reason. And we see this time after time after time. Every time that we see something come up and uh, talking about the sinkhole and, and the parking lot that we had, we're like, uh, this might be it. How are we going to be able to pay to have this parking lot repaired and so that we can continue to have services here. And God made a way out of no way. He came in and made it, made it happen so that we got it repaired with not as much money out of pocket. <laughs> Praise God for that. But we were able to continue on uh, getting the parking lot resurfaced. And, and I often bring up, you know, uh, we, we had this wing, this addition that was added uh, on the other side of the building with a goal for us to have a Christian institution that just never came to fruition. You know, years before I was here, uh, there was a plan to have a Christian school there. And then as I came pastor, and I realized that, hey, this, this part of the building is going unused. We've got utilities and all these kind of things. Lord, what will you have us to do? How can we be good stewards of your building and serve the community? And God shows up with this Christian Montessori school that needed an area to have their, 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 their school here for children and to, to learn and get a Christian Montessori education. 
how amazing is God when we go and, and to seek him and just give it over to him? Uh, I often say my prayers were too small because I didn't, I, I didn't even imagine that he would do something the way he did, but he seemed fit to bless us in that way. And I can go on and on and talk about the roofs, the roof and the pipes and the, the floor. Man, we've had some challenges here and we still do occasionally. But what's important is that we have come together as God's people and we have united together to see his glory and his will be done. That's what's amazing to me, that we, we get to, to live out what it is that God has called for us. Still with challenge, we don't do it perfectly. Uh, I catch some people gossiping here and there every once in a while, or somebody gets their, their feelings hurt, or maybe somebody doesn't show up when they say they were going to show up, or things get uh, moved around and let... Uh, we got, I mean, we're human beings and human beings are going to get in the way and we're going to have challenges. But the goal, the purpose that I hope and pray for us is that we will come back together, remember why we're here, and remember our goal and our purpose and be unified in that. This is what we see in Nehemiah chapter 5 here. Uh, if we remember, Nehemiah has heard from his brother that his hometown is in shambles and has been taken down, and he's, he's heartbroken for his community. He's like, we cannot let this continue to happen. We need to do something. we got to go and turn things around. And he, he cares so much. He's like, I'm not just going to you know, hope somebody else take care of it. Some, some of us might do that. We see a problem. I mean, I, I can't wait till somebody fixes that problem. But instead, Nehemiah says, I'm not going to wait for anybody. I'm going to go and we're going to get some people together and we're going to do this together to align with God's mission and help to be a part of accomplishing the goals that he set forward for us. And things were going pretty well until we had some haters in the building. If you remember from last week, they're telling them, well, I don't know what you guys think you're doing. You're not, you're not. Uh, construction workers, you're not carpenter. I, this will, this this wall is just going to fall down to shambles. You're wasting your time. You don't know what you're doing. Don't we see that here today? People want to get in the way. When you start to do something and start to make something of yourself, you start to go and follow Christ and what is. Some people want to try to get in the way and prevent you from doing that. The evil one wants to do anything he can to, to prevent you from doing what God has called you to do. Nehemiah goes to the Lord in prayer and says, hey, uh, I'm going to need you to take care of these guys. But we're going to be in it. Whatever you need us to do, we will do so that we can accomplish your mission. And they were able to continue, but it doesn't stop. Look with me in Nehemiah 5. We'll start in verse 1. God's word here reads, now there arose a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many, and so let us get grain that, that we may eat and be alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for this King's tax on our field and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers and our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. 
for other men have our fields and our vineyards. And if you remember, going back, what, I, what I've been stressing over and over again is what Jesus says, that I want you to remember to be intentional about uh, these words that Jesus talked about in John 16, 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That should give us some encouragement. Even though if you don't have it, Jesus has got it. We might worry about all these things that are going on under our own power, but the reality is Jesus says expect to have trouble and tribulation, but don't worry too much about it because I have overcome the world. I've got it. And if Jesus got your back, you don't have to worry about anybody else or what they would do. But still, the thing is the same. Trouble will happen. And it seems to come in waves, doesn't it? It, it, we, we seem to be doing things and uh, everything is do, going all right and, and we're smooth sailing. And then <laughs> what just happened? All of a sudden, something falls in our laps. We run into a brick wall. And like things were going so well. We see this here. Uh, what we talked about in chapter four, there was some external opposition that these people were facing. Sam Ballad and Tobiah, they were talking crazy to the, 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 the Israelites and, and talking all this mess and, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that. But even though they tried to belittle the workers, it, it doesn't work. They, they rightly went to Jesus. They, they rightly went to God and said, hey, th- th- we need you to take care of this. And we're going to do what you have asked us to do. But when that didn't work, Satan tries something else. Satan tries to bring out one of his favorite weapons to cause some more tribulation, more challenges. And his favorite thing to do is to cause internal strife. He's like, well, if, if the external challenges are not getting you, I know what will. I'm going to divide these people. I'm going to get them angry at each other, and I'm going to get them so uh, upset that they're going to stop the working. They're going to stop following Jesus, and they're going to fight each other. Matthew 12 and 25 says, Knowing their thoughts, as Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. And the evil one knows this. All he has to do is to get some internal strife going on, to get to pit one person against another, and he accomplishes goals. Once, once I, well, I, well, forget that. They won't listen to me, and they never do this, and they always, and I'm just going to leave. You know, forget these people. Forget that church. Forget this community. And the evil one gets his way. As these folks are doing the work on the wall, life starts to weigh in on them and they begin to turn on each other as well as Nehemiah, their leader. Have you noticed that people just are notoriously fickle? Things are, like I said, things can be going really well and somebody has a bad day and then they can make it a bad day for everybody else. Things can be going really well and it just takes that one person. You know, that's why it doesn't make sense when people talk about following their heart. You heard this? Oh, just 
follow your heart. Things will be great. Go and find yourself and, and do what you feel makes you feel good. Follow your feelings or your thoughts. Or you don't feel like doing all these things. Brothers and sisters, the scripture says the, the heart is dangerous. People are fickle. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? As you, you love one thing one day and hate it the next. How can we trust our hearts? How can we trust our feelings? Even through all this, we need to remember that these people started out in the right way. We need to remember that, that they all started with their hearts in the right place. It started off with this is, the God, this is the job that God has called us to do, and we need to align with their mission. And being obedient to God and aligning with his mission was more important than their own well-being, even if only for a moment. So, so while we would like to say, man, how dare they? They're doing a good job, and, and they, they know what they're doing, and they're doing the right thing. And now, how are they, they going to gripe about any of this? So we have to remember that... that we often are in that place too. And remember, they started off in the right place, trying to be obedient. Matthew 10 and 37 says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow him is not worthy of me. That sounds harsh. It sounds drastic. But if you, if you take it and really look at it, our love for, for God, we, we have to be so fervent and so intentional about our love for God that in comparison, love for anything else would look like hate. If you got to make a choice in your life, is, is do you get God or you get your spouse? You get God or you get your children? You get God or you get whatever it is. Our love for God has to be so over the top that in comparison, it looks like, not, not to say that you're going to hate your family, your friends, or anything else, but it will pale in comparison to how we follow God, how we love him, and the things he's done for us. So here we have everybody griping and complaining, and Nehemiah is a little upset. Look with me in verse 6. Actually, it says, I was angry. Nehemiah says, I was angry when I heard their outcry in these words, and I took counsel with myself and brought charges against the nobles and the officials, and I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother, and held a great assembly against them, and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, will we restore these and require nothing from them? 
we will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they were promised. I know that's right, Nehemiah. And get them straight. Tell them what, they, what they're doing and to get them back on the agenda to do what it, what it is, what they need. What's wrong with these people? It, it reminds me as, as we read in the Old Testament and in the Exodus, the, these, the Israelites are under Pharaoh. They're being abused and all these things are taking place. Uh, Moses comes and says, hey, tell, let my people go. And finally, Pharaoh says, okay, go, get out of here. People get into the wilderness like, man, maybe it wasn't so bad in Egypt. I'm tired of all this manna falling from heaven and meet manna every day. Yesterday manna, today manna, we're going to have manna. <laughs> What's wrong? How soon we forget how good God has been to us. How soon we forget what it is and what our purpose is in this life that we go and we do unnatural, crazy things when we're not aligned with what God has called us to do. While Nehemiah is rightly angry, notice that he doesn't fly off the handle. He might be a better leader than I am. Because when people came and, and, and started complaining and he goes and sees what's going on, he got angry. He was like, wait a minute. Usa, let me take a breath. And let me not respond in the same way that they're responding to me. He takes a moment to consider the charges that are brought to his attention. And even though they came at him sideways, he took a moment and he didn't say anything that he would regret later. Man, what a lesson that is for us. He doesn't respond in kind. He takes a moment to adjust and remember for himself why we're here, who we're serving why it matters. He calls a meeting with the nobles and the officials and calls them out for charging high taxes and taking advantage of his own people and profiting from their suffering. All this goes against the law. In Deuteronomy 23 and 19, it says, you shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. It's like, hey, guys, let me remind you. Bring out the scripture. Hey, you remember? This is what it says in the law, and this is what you're doing. This is why we, we take time every year to read through the scriptures together. That we go through a yearly reading plan, not so that we can check the box off, but so that we can know how God has called us to live. We can know the character of God and who he is, and we, we, can, we can understand what it is that he has for us to do and how he has for us to do it. We can learn from the lessons in his scripture so that we don't repeat them. That's why we need to be in scripture constantly and be on our knees in prayer. You see, these people here, they weren't walking in the fear of God, and Nehemiah had to call them out on it. Sometimes we need this. 
This is why we have the emphasis of prayer and discipleship this year, because we need each other. We need each other to, to be there and stand firm. When, when, when I'm going astray, when I'm doing something crazy that shouldn't be, or just a little bit weird, like, hey, um, I noticed that you've been doing these things or saying these things or acting in this way that's out of your character. What's, what's happening? What's going on? How can I help? How can I pray? To, so that we can hold each other accountable. And we don't, we don't really like people in our business, but it's necessary for people so we can walk together, so we can grow together in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is necessary for us to be involved in each other's lives and have an influence over one another as we be, tend to try to be more Christ-like. You know, it's funny when we call ourselves Christians, but we don't look nothing like Christ. We don't act like Christ. We don't walk like Christ. We don't talk like Christ. That's not how it ought to be. And we end up making Christ look bad. When you don't do what's right, when you, when you don't uh, call yourself a Christian, but you don't look anything like him, and people start to ask some questions, and rightly they should. We should look like Christ, but unfortunately most of us look like hypocrites. And that's just the truth. That's why non-Christians don't want to even mess with us. You say you go to church and you sit there for an hour or whatever it is and you come out and you call me to do some stuff, but look, look at your life. Why do you do the things that you, why do you act the way, why is it okay for you and not okay for me? Well, when it comes to us, now we got some excuses. It's so important that we be in the scriptures and that we align with Christ and that we be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that, that, we, that people won't be turned around because of us. You know, if people are going to go away, let, let it be because of, of Christ and his truth, not because of the way you act, the way you talk, the way you walk. Let us make sure that we are in alignment with what, who Christ is and who he would have us to be. Nehemiah here is telling them, look, you, you guys need to straighten up. You guys need to be reminded of, of how uh, we're supposed to act. We've got to be reminded of the law. It says, hey, look, you need to get that money back. That's, that's the way we turn this thing around and correct this. You need to be right and, and give all that back. And Nehemiah also reminded them of the practice of selling Israelites. Hey, that's an abomination. You're not supposed to be doing that either. God tells us not to do this. Leviticus 25 and 42 says, For they are my servants who are brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over them ruthlessly, but you shall fear your God. Another reminder, look, you guys got to act right. This is not going to fly. And at this point, <laughs> Nehemiah had been there about two months. So he gets there and they start doing everything. And all of a sudden, like I said, it flips the script and things are already starting to fall apart. However, Nehemiah does what he can do, just confront sin when it comes up and he calls for repentance. He also calls God to, to judge anyone who doesn't comply. And again, as a leader, this is tough. It's very tough to call people out, to hold them accountable make them be aware of the sin in their lives and call them to something better. 
to be with them and call them to repentance. Some of us have had those conversations. Even I have had those conversations. People have called me out and have shown me where I need to repent. And while at the time it didn't feel good, but it was what was necessary, what was needed, so I can be who God called me to be. Look with me at verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, four shekels of silver, even the servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on the wall, and we acquired no land, and all the servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, beside those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. So here in this last section of chapter five, we fast forward 12 years and we find that Nehemiah is the governor for uh, the Persian kings and he's in a, an official for the king. And he's there to oversee Jerusalem and this project of building the city's defenses and walls. And even though he's allowed to have a food allowance, other, other people before him were allowed to collect money in order to have a food allowance, and they were eating pretty good. You know, instead of having some chicken, they were having the steaks. But Nehemiah decided that he would choose to have some self-sacrifice and say, look, I'm, I'm not going to put this burden on the people. I'm not going to continue to raise taxes so that I can eat good, so that I can have a lavish life, even though I can, I can do that according to the law, but I'm not going to do that. Even when other diplomats and officials came through, Nehemiah paid for their entertainment out of his own pocket so that he wouldn't be a burden to the people. He understood what it was like. He listened to the people. He understood their needs, where they were, and he didn't want to put any further undue burden on it. And it was because of his love for God and his people that Nehemiah exhibits this great amount of generosity. Because he loved God, he loved God's people. And he, he, he wanted to show this love by doing all these things. He took God's word seriously and treated it as if it was coming directly from God, because it does. We take for granted that, you know, not too many people carry around a physical Bible. We take, take for granted that we do have God's word in our hands and we look at it just as a book that men wrote. But it's so much more than that. These are God's words. He is speaking directly to us through these words. If you want to hear God speak, you read his scripture. If you want to hear him speak out loud, you read his scripture out loud. That's how important these words are. 
and we shouldn't treat it flippantly like it's just any old kind of other book. If you remember, we saw this with the early Christians in the book of Acts. They, they practiced this type of, the same type of generosity and lifestyle. God was everything to them. Folks came together and they, they loved on one another. They sold their goods so others might have some stuff and they, they opened their homes. They were hospitable to others, breaking bread with each other. Is this what godly people do? That's how godly people live their lives. They live their lives generously. They live their lives thinking about others. They, they live their lives thinking about ways that they can serve. This is what God's people do. And this is it's this kind of generosity that I pray for us as well. I, I think is this is why we've been able to be here as a church for the past 55 years. Because even though we, we do so uh, we don't do so perfectly, we, we still are here to live out what God has called us to live, to serve our community, to grow in our relationship with him, to thrive as a body of believers, and to serve Boingbrook in the greater community. As imperfectly as we do it, we do it. So that's what I'm continuing to pray for us as a church, pray for us as individuals that we would love God so much that we would be self-sacrificial like Nehemiah was, like we see in the book of Acts. And then we just go forward, full bore, and do what God has called us to do. I want us to exhibit a deep sense of compassion for the people around us as well as the community for the sake of the kingdom. I hope you will join me in that prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word and speaking to us through it, helping us to see what you've done for your people over the course of time to give us the encouragement that you are faithful to continue even in our own lives. Father, as we break today, help us to see how we can be serving you and your people in our own lives, how you've called us to live and the things that you've given us to be steward over, how we might use those things in order to serve you, to serve your community. Help us see people that you've put into our lives that need to hear the gospel message, the good news, that you would give us the words to say and you give us the courage to be able to speak into their lives and, and walk with them on their journey as they discover who you are and what you've done for them. Help us as a church to continue not to be inward focused and, and concerned about the building or our programs, but so that we would go out and be a beacon of light to this community that you've placed us in. That we would be able to go out from these four walls, not just into our community, but go uh, to, to the rest of the country and other countries as well so that your name would be proclaimed. Father, we thank you so much for being able to do this and serve you in this way. And we thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.